Welcome to The Informed Life. In each episode of this show, we'll talk with people from different fields to find out how they organize information to get things done. I'm your host, Jorge Arango. My guest today is Eduardo Ortiz. Eduardo is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran and former director at the U.S. Digital Service. More recently, Eduardo co-founded And Partners, a social impact design and engineering studio that works with organizations to help improve their communities. In this episode, we discuss how they manage their information to drive change. As always, you can find a transcript and notes for this episode at theinformed.life. And as a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, please rate or review it in Apple's podcast directory. This helps other folks find it. Thanks. Eduardo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jorge. I appreciate it. I'm very excited to have you here. For uh, folks who don't know you, um, how do you introduce yourself? I usually don't. I say that I'm Eduardo and that I'm a failed engineer trying to make it as a designer. You and I have been friends for a while, and I've uh, been following your trajectory, and I think that you have a very interesting background. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I, um, I went to school for uh, computer and software engineer, uh, and as I was finishing my degree, I was thoroughly bored with it uh, because my focus was on, uh, on creating software for hardware. And I wanted to do something different. And I started looking at what other people were doing. Saw that a lot of my friends were in Parsons and they seemed to actually have fun doing whatever it was that they were going to school for while I was mostly, most of the time miserable or in front of my computer. And I started developing a need and a want to kind of like do more of what they were doing. So I started taking uh, design courses and just like playing with things and trying to figure out what I could do with what I had learned in school, uh, but not do what I was in school for. And I started uh, working on uh, on higher levels of of, uh, of the stack and not finally being in the front end. And from there, uh, I stumbled upon the the ACES list and uh, some guy named Lou Rosenfeld who had sent a message that he was moving to Brooklyn. I lived in Brooklyn. Uh, so I offered to to pick him up from the airport because there was a, a strike in, in New York going on. Uh, and then just a bunch of jumps from places to places. I ended up... Uh, calling myself an information architect, then uh, an experienced architect, then a user experience designer. And uh, now I've uh, launched my own firm focused on uh, leveraging research, design, and technology to help people be able to, be, to live a better life. I feel like that's a great articulation of your professional journey. And I, I didn't know the, the little tidbit about uh, picking up Lou at the airport. That's great. So I actually never ended up picking him up. You didn't? Uh, but how, no, that is how we, I ended up uh, even making it as an information architect or even leading, leading that, um, taking that route uh, because of that conversation that we started. 
I pointed out the professional trajectory because I also recall seeing that you've served in the military as well, right? Yeah, I uh, spent 12 years in the, in the Marines. And uh, recently you were also working in government, right? Yes, I, I've done two stints in the civilian side of the government. The first at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, working with the Technology and Innovation Group, and most recently with the U.S. Digital Service, uh, focusing on immigration reform. What, what is the U.S. Digital Service for folks who don't know? Yeah, the U.S. Digital Service is a, <clears throat> a component of the White House that was established by the Obama administration after the healthcare.gov uh, nightmare um, with the vision of bringing thoughtful design, engineering, product, and research capabilities within different government agencies to focus on the most critical products and the most critical services provided to the public. So it's sort of like an internal agency for the government? Yeah, it was sort of an internal agency for the government, uh, very similar to, to 18F within the General Services Administration. Uh, it, it is, it, the goal was to house technologists, uh, and I'm using the word technologies in very general terms, uh, that were able to, for a short stints of time, up to a year or two, to focus on critical problems and do so from a position of uh, strength because they had uh, coverage from, from the White House, uh, but also because they knew that uh, they were not going to end up dealing with much of the bureaucracy that usually uh, federal workers trying to do the same things uh, deal with. It sounds like an opportunity to impact uh, a lot of folks. Oh, 100%. I don't think that I've ever done something much more impactful than that. Uh, I mean, you're talking that any kind of work that you do, you're impacting tens of thousands, if not millions of people. Uh, the U.S. Digital Service has had uh, branches at the Small Business Administration, at the Department of Defense, at Homeland Security, at the Department of Education, uh, at Health and Human Services. And you're talking that these are folks that have partnered with federal employees to accelerate the go-to-market uh, stage of a lot of services that have been critical. When I hear you use that phrase, go-to-market, it, uh, it sounds like a phrase that I associate with like an enterprise setting, right? Was uh, part of it also infusing that spirit into, into government? It, it very much is. And you will hear that in government, uh, the terms that are used have, have been evolving for quite a while. Um, the focus is no longer on the requirements. The focus is on people and, and people's needs. Uh, the focus is not on, uh, on meetings, but now on what are the goals. So the conversation has definitely been shifting to a more humane one uh, where the technology is merely an accelerator and an enabler rather than the end-all be-all. Now, you were saying that you left the government uh, and have started your own firm. What are you doing there? Um, so I launched and partners in the fall of 2017, and our focus has been on leveraging research, design, and technology to try to solve critical problems that positively affect 
the social safety net. And we say so like this because for us, it's critical that the work that we are doing is positive and it's actually affecting people in positive ways and helping people be able to live better lives. Um, so since we launched, we've we've taken on a number of paying clients, uh, but we've also uh, done, I guess, our first project was uh, a unpaid slash uh, pro bono work uh, project. It was uh, last year when this administration callously started separating children from, from their parents. <clears throat> I was made aware that this was happening uh, sometime in June when the story broke. And a friend uh, from USDS, uh, she asked me, what are you guys going to do about it? And I was like completely dumbfounded. I was like, what do you mean we? She's like, if M Partners doesn't do something, no one will. I'm like, I, we literally, it's the three founders and we have no money. I, I'm not sure what you mean. And we kept them chatting and then that was like the end of it. And that just like started eating at me. The, what are we going to do about it? And this was a very akin to a tactic that one day in a Chisnell used on me uh, when I joined the U.S. Digital Service, which was telling me that I needed to do something uh, that was meaningful and that my country needed me. And that kind of like call to arms was something that I couldn't ignore. And the same thing happened here. Uh, my partners and I, we started doing research to try to figure out what exactly was going on, which really meant making a lot of calls and, and starting to read the news to truly understand what was happening at the Southwest border. And when we kind of like came up to an idea of what we could do or what the challenges were, uh, I started talking to my wife who uh, was a public defender and she helped me kind of like create this understanding, this framework for how children and families could be helped uh, from a position of a legal expert, if you will. And once, once I had that, I made a call out to pretty much anyone and everyone who had cycles to spare to, to join me. And about 40 people ended up volunteering to, to join us. And we ended up creating a, uh, pretty much a relationship management system that we then partnered with New America and the Vera Justice Network to provide a system that the legal providers at the Southwest border could use to reunify families. To me, this is is so cool to hear this that you're taking something that um, that you saw playing out in the public sphere and um, asking yourself the question, well, what can I do about it? And then putting in motion this project to actually do something about it is something that um, I think it's it's inspiring. Uh, one of the challenges I think that we face in our time is that we have this illusion that because we're I don't know, tweeting about problems that somehow that's <laughs> helping the problem get solved, right? So, so it sounds it to I me mean, like you're doing actually something about it, which is cool. It's, it's funny because uh, tweeting sometimes can have that, that effect of helping to address and solve problems uh, because it helps amplify information, which uh, oftentimes is critical. If people don't know about something, it's really difficult for someone 
to actually do something about it. And just a point of clarification, I had no intent on doing anything about the problem of, of unaccompanied children at, at the Southwest border. If it had not been for, for my friend who, who called me out, uh, Jennifer Anastasia, who was the, uh, the head of people ops for USDS before, uh, before she left, if it had not been for her, I probably would not have done this. We probably would not have done this. Uh, but I think that that kind of like ends up being what we all try to do, create this networks around us that help us be the best version of ourselves that we can be. Well, in any case, kudos, because like I said, it's, it's going beyond talking about it and actually doing something about it. But now let, let me play it back to you to see if I heard correctly. So what you all did is you designed and built a system that uh, makes it easier for uh, uh, folks that are working within the legal system to assist the people who are in need of their services. Is that right? Pretty much, yep. Do you know if uh, it's being used, if it's had the effects that you hoped it would have? So it was used for a little bit, uh, but then the legal system kind of like caught up and uh, through some injunctions uh, that, in theory, uh, prevented this administration from continuing to separate uh, families, even though we've, we've read uh, there have been a number of, uh, of news reports that that has not been the case. Uh, but through those injunctions, uh, it meant that the system uh, was no longer necessary since, mm. in theory, the government was no longer going to keep separating families. So that's an example of the sort of work that you all are doing. Um, I, th I think that would qualify in the pro bono space that you mentioned. I say pro bono because no one got paid. This yeah. is something uh, needed to be done and a uh, number of people jumped on board uh, uh, to, to get it done. Uh, there were like almost like 40 people volunteering their time. Uh, I'm still flabbergasted at the names and the people that actually joined. Uh, and I won't start naming them because I will more than likely leave people out and, and forget about it. But for people that were involved with what was called Project Quetzal and who had a hand in helping reunify children with their families, know that you will forever have my gratitude. You mentioned that the, that the focus of the company is on problems that affect the social safety net. And it's pretty clear how something like the one that you're describing falls into that category. Are you also working with corporations, with uh, kind of for-profit businesses? Uh, we are. Um, and funny that you asked. And one of the first things that when we started was that we were not going to be working with any corporation, that we were not going to be working with the government. Um, and in hindsight, I had no clue what we even thought we were going to be working with. Uh, if that had been the case. But smarter minds prevailed and we shifted our approach and instead what we have what we have articulated have has been this rubric that allows us to clearly determine whether an organization is uh going to be a good shepherd uh in in the social space and someone that we actually want to be associated with. Uh so whether it is a government agency, whether it is a corporation, uh, for profit or not, uh, we put everyone through this rubric that we have developed uh, to make sure that they meet the minimum standards that we have set uh, for an organization that we want to work with. And once that actually takes place, uh, we still have an internal uh, vote to determine whether it is something that we should be doing or not. 
without naming names, can you give us examples of the types of projects that uh, you're taking on in that domain? Yeah, of course. Um, we <clears throat> we helped uh, develop the the future generation of a system that allows lawful permanent residents to apply to become citizens with uh, legal assistance. Uh, we have been for the past eight months working on developing a future generation uh, electronic health record systems uh, that is focused on the provider's perspective rather than uh, than billing and uh, and coding perspective and and we are working on helping farmers get the get the workers to work their farms uh, faster by leveraging technology to address the bureaucracy. Those sound like really complex, meaty systems challenges. They are, uh, and they are so exciting to be working on because it's not just a technology problem. It's not about writing code. It's about taking into account the whole uh, ecosystem around it, uh, like a true people process and technology approach to it. You said when you were telling me the story about uh, offering to pick Lou up at the airport and such that you started calling yourself an information architect. And I'm wondering, as you're describing all of this, what role information plays in, in all of this and uh, more to the point, how you all manage your information to get things done. Yeah, uh, information is central to everything that I do. Uh, relationships, which to me are the the avenues through which information flows are critical to what we do and how we do things because we are we are not in a position that everyone knows of us. So who we work with is through those relationships because someone has mentioned to someone else that they should uh, that they should talk to us. And as such when we are afforded those those introductions for us that relationship and that information that is uh that is captured is uh it's something that is shared is something that is that is actually like taken care of um so yeah information is uh center for us well i feel like i want to unpack that because you mentioned that the project uh, that you did in the southwest border revolved around relationship management and now you're you're highlighting the fact that relationship management is also critical for your own business in getting the word out and and all that. How are you uh, are you managing relationships with some kind of system? So we have developed our own system. Uh, it's based on technology, uh, but it is not its own technological uh, system, if you will. Uh, we use a series of tools to uh, to allow us to document the connections that we have uh what information we have on on those connections uh what actually matters uh what we should be sharing what uh what is uh of importance to to that um to that person the pr the projects that are either linked to them uh or or the referrals that are coming from them and then we track everything through a number of buckets that allows us to understand where things are uh, during the life cycle of our relationship. When you say we, how many people are you talking about? How many of you all participate? 
There are nine employees, including myself right now, and, and partners. And pretty much everyone has a hand in doing this. And you said it's a homegrown system. Is it uh, based on anything like open source technologies? Is it web-based? Uh, well, it's just, uh, so, it's a, so it's a system of systems, if you will. Uh, so we use uh, Asana uh, primarily, uh, but we use Google Forms as well. Um, and we use uh, a lot of the Google Docs, uh, aside from forms, uh, to develop the information and uh, capture it. That's fantastic. I, I feel like I want to unpack it a little bit because these are tools that pretty much everyone has access to, right? And, uh, and uh, knowing you in your, in your trajectory, uh, you'll have probably given a lot of thought to the structuring of these things so that they can serve these purposes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I I said this uh, during uh, during my keynote of of the IA conference that I have never invented anything in my life, and the same the same is true of now. Uh, I think that uh, what we took a system uh, and a series of tools and we just mashed them together to achieve what uh, what we need. Uh, so let's let's take for example uh, this relationship management that, that we are talking about. So uh, specifically on the project intake uh, on that rubric. So we first started working the um, developing what the what a rubric was using Google Docs. Um, once we had a good narrative and a good approach for for what it was, we then shifted to using Google Sheets because we needed to, to provide criteria for evaluation. Uh, and this is where we started trying to figure out, well, are we saying that something is good, bad, or okay, or are we giving it a ranking from, uh, from zero to five? How do, what is five? What is zero? What does bad mean? What does good mean? Um, and in order to do that, we, we had shifted to, to Google Sheets rather than Excel, sorry. Um, once we determined what that was, we needed the, the input facing side of it. Uh, and so we started, we went back to Google Docs to document what kind of information do we need in order to be able to determine whether something is good, bad, or okay. And, we started documenting the type of information that we needed, the type of information that would be good to have, and the type of information that, that didn't mean anything and that there was no reason for us to capture it. And once we had those two things together, we then did two things. We created a Google form uh, that allowed for the capture of the information for the data entry side, and we created an Asana project uh, and along with a number of stages that then allowed the Google form to dynamically populate the, the Asana, uh, project with those, uh, with those things that we're putting through the, the Google forms. And then, uh, the stage after that is that when something has made it past our, uh, intake, if you will, uh, we manually take that card, develop it into its own project that has its own uh, structure, and then we start the process all over again. 
So is this a way of like evaluating the the leads for projects that you're going to be working on? Uh, yeah. I was very intrigued when you said that that you have Google Forms feeding the Asana project directly. So it's like it really is a mashup of these various tools. Yes, it is uh, 100% a mashup. A better yeah. way that did not involve me having to deal with Salesforce or having to hire a Salesforce expert. I would greatly look at it. <laughs> I was about to ask you, you know, if you all had evaluated other solutions, because I know that there are some tools and, you know, Salesforce is one of them, but uh, there are some tools that, that do this sort of thing. Like, why did you choose to do the mashup? We, we did. Uh, the, the mashup was done in order to allow us to have uh, historical information about any project and about anyone that we work with. So we make Asana work as our CRM through a number of customizations that we have made. And that allows us to be able to track that a project that we, that we did came in through a specific person and everyone that was part of that project and what were the roles for, for those different people? What were the things that, that, they, uh, that they had a hand in? Because that will then allow us, which is something that we do at the end of every project, is we develop an after action uh, report for everything that we do. So it allows us to evaluate how we worked, what were the results, what was the, what were the expectations coming into the project, and what were the things that made the project work or not. Um, and allows us to almost like compare different projects, so projects that actually worked, that went well, and projects that didn't, and try to, in a way, say, well, why didn't this project work? Why did this project work? What did we have here that we didn't have there? And it allows us to then tweak our rubric, but also it helps us understand what we are doing wrong in order to stop it, what we are doing that needs to be improved, and to improve even further on the things that we are doing well. So there's this aspect of learning to the system somehow. Yeah which uh, I'm guessing that by using fairly, st you, you alluded to like having to deal with Salesforce developers and my sense is that the Google suite and things like Asana are, they don't require like this development know-how, right? They don't. The, the, the curb to learn how to develop this system into, into something that works for you, is very, very low. Uh, so it's easy to deal with. I, I can see that, uh, especially when you have a distributed team. Are, are you all in the same place? We are not. We are all distributed. We have folks in New York, uh, New Mexico, Seattle. Uh, myself, I am in D.C. We have some coworkers in Virginia. Uh, we have folks in, in L.A. And we have one of our colleagues in the Netherlands. Well, I didn't realize that you were even international. That's, uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> It's, things have happened uh, organically, and I am still trying to figure out why everyone has trusted me and jumped on board into what is, to me, an experiment that an organization that is solely focused on doing the right thing can be profitable and can help everyone be able to go to sleep at night and say, I did something good today. Well, Eduardo, congratulations. That seems like a really great place to, uh, to wrap it up. Yeah, I appreciate it. Good luck with the experiment. And uh, 
why don't you tell us uh, where folks can follow up with you? Yeah, um, so if folks want to follow up with me, I'm on Twitter, at Eduardo Ortiz. I am on LinkedIn, under my same name, Eduardo F. Ortiz. Uh, or if folks want to figure out what uh, Ant Partners is doing, uh, we are on uh, both Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Uh, on Twitter, it's A-N-D-P-R-T-N-R-S, at A-N-D-P-R-T-N-R-S. And on LinkedIn, it's uh, Ant Partners, all spelled out. Fantastic. I'm going to include the links in the show notes to make it easier for that, folks. That is perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, Eduardo. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to your audience.